leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Fascinating thing to me about what Ruth is saying there is that None of it really is necessary. Naomi had encouraged her to move on, to go back to her home. Uh, But the reality of what she was saying is such that if we understand the relationship between what she is saying and what God expects us to be as saints, as people that want to spend time with each other, that want to communicate properly with each other, to desire a community of believers, that this should mean something to us. And I, you know, when we look at this question that we're going to consider today, it should make us really seriously think, you know, why, why do I do the things that I do? You know, most of us, you know, most people out in the world and even in the religious world have never tackled the question of why do I believe what I believe? And so the question needs to be asked, must I be a member of a local body of saints? You know, there were some people, there are some people that don't believe so. Uh, I'm in contact with, uh, you know, people on a normal basis that go to uh, church somewhere and, uh, Maybe they go there, maybe they go somewhere else, and uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of conviction in their hearts about, you know, I, I, I need to settle down somewhere. And, uh, but are we doing that just so it's convenient and this is where it's good, nice for me to go and, you know, the people are nice, or is there something more to it? Well, if I obey the gospel, if I become a Christian, the Lord adds me to the church. We find that in Acts 2 and verse 47. He adds me to the church. But this is, of course, in a universal sense. Uh, And if we have the right understanding of the kingdom and and what that means and what the church means, then we're going to recognize that there is a distinction between the local congregation and the universal church, which is comprised of all believers everywhere. There have been different concepts of that, even among our own brethren in the past, that Every literal local congregation constitutes the church. But this does not identify me in a local congregation. Me becoming a Christian does not say I'm a member somewhere. But what does it mean to be a member locally? Do I just, you know, the fact that I attend somewhere, does that mean that I'm just sort of assumed into a member, uh, into the membership of a group? Uh, or is my name on the roll of a membership, but maybe I seldom attend, or maybe I'm not really invested in the work of that local church. These are all things we really need to consider. Let's establish, first of all, that local church membership is necessary for the Christian. And again, I know in this group we're probably not going to get a whole lot of difference of opinion on this, but let's just logically step through it. And ask the question, if that is not required of a Christian, 
then what does that practically mean? Well, first of all, if you don't have members, there is no local church. If you just have people randomly meeting and coming together, well, that's an assembly. And in fact, in the book of Acts, there's a point where an assembly is, uh, you know, that, that's the word, that, the ecclesia, that's used to describe a mob. Okay? So you can have a church, but is it the church, is it the local church, for example, like what we see in the New Testament? We find in Philippians 1 and verse 1, uh, Paul addresses them to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus, and he says, with the bishops and deacons. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Can I, re- can I suggest that even in that same verse, if you look at it, we have the two senses of the church? We have the local church that is located in Corinth. And then he says, to all the saints, in, uh, uh, excuse me, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where he's talking about the universal church. Acts 13, we find the church that was at Antioch. There were uh, multiple prophets and teachers. And so, again, to argue that the local congregation is not essential is to do away with it. And if we do away with it, we're doing away with something that is clearly mentioned in Scripture, that there are located local congregations doing the Lord's work. So if we eliminate the local church, well, what's the point of elders? The work that elders do is eliminated if we don't have the local church. Paul says to shepherd the flock which is among you. He's not talking about shepherd the flock that's everywhere, shepherd the whole flock, shepherd the universal church. He is saying, shepherd the flock which is among you. And those elders have rule and authority. In Acts 20, we find that Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders, and he's telling them to shepherd the the flock and to guard them and to help them. So if there is no local church, there's no members, and there's no members, there's no shepherding for the elders to do. Further than that, discipline cannot be carried out if there is no local church. And someone might say, well, what, our goal should be to carry out discipline? Yes, it's the command of God. And how do we do that if we have a chaotic group that is sort of loosely affiliated and we just come when we want to or not or doesn't matter, everything's okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.13, he says, uh, Paul says there, but those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, this doesn't mean that that person can't attend. And that's the thing that we've got to establish here. Just because someone comes into the worship and is worshiping with us does not necessarily mean that they are a member there. And we want to establish that very clearly. And in fact, earlier on in that chapter, you know, what, is, what does Paul say? You know, when you were assembled together, deliver that soul unto Satan. Second uh, Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, we're to withdraw from those who are disorderly. Well, again, this can't be done without a local congregation, an established uh, point that we can recognize and see that this is the group and this is not the group. Exhortation and encouragement can't happen without the local church. 
uh, in Acts 28 and verse 15. It says, says, When the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and Three Ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When Paul saw them. Second uh, John verse 12, Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. These brethren were were, were uh, appreciative of that physical contact and that time together. And if you don't have a local church, if there's no established group of believers in that locality, if it's just a sort of chaotic mishmash, then uh, we're limited in what we can do to encourage each other because there is no group. There's no real point uh, for us to really focus on. So that membership is necessary. I must be a member of a local church. And uh, we're going to look farther into some details about that as time goes on. But uh, what we want to recognize, first of all, is that you know, someone who says that it's not necessary for me to be a member, they're missing something very serious that the New Testament is showing us. That there is, there is a relationship to be appreciated here. Let's talk about how that happens. How does that relationship start? How do I identify? You know, see, we use that term, I'm going to identify with this local congregation. That's not technically a, bi- a biblical term. I don't think it's wrong, but I think it's the idea of joining yourself. I think the, the concept of joining yourself to a group is very biblical. What happened? What do we see here? Well, again, this kind of gets sort of to the central argument of what I'm saying this morning. Paul sought to join himself to the disciples in Jerusalem. If you look at Acts chapter 9, we want to see that Paul, very soon after his conversion, at least in terms of Acts, if you read Acts, it seems like he's uh, converted and just right then he decides to go to Jerusalem. And we'll look more at that actually. We'll find in another passage a little bit more detail about that particular point. But if you read in Acts 9 and verse 26, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And so that coming in and going out, by the way, is, is in a term, a phrase that really talks about that daily association, that relationship that, that he had with these brethren here, and that closeness. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas uh, later identified at Antioch. In Acts 11, we see that this is to the point where uh, Saul moves from Jerusalem to Antioch to basically be there with the brethren. We find in Acts 13 that he stayed there for a year, but if we look in Acts 11 and verse 25, where did that start? Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so they fulfilled the role of teachers and preachers there. And so they identified with that congregation. In Acts 18, Acts 18 and verse 27, Apollos is who we're talking about here. It says, When he desired to cross to Achaia, 
the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Apollos was to be received by the church in Achaia. They thought it good at Ephesus that they write Achaia to receive him. Let's recognize some principles here as we consider this. First of all, that the desire to place yourself within a group to say that I am, I am joining up with this group, that's needed. Uh, secondarily, that you're doing this in order to work with the group. You're not doing it just to kind of, well, this is where I'm going to go and I'm just going to warm the pew. Thirdly, we want to recognize that there is an established priority for congregations to recognize who is to be received. And we'll talk a little bit about who's not to be received as well. But as we're talking about joining to a group, what is the biblical term? When it says that Paul joins himself to, uh, to Jerusalem, we're seeing this term, uh, I believe it's pronounced kalao, and the meaning is to join fast together to glue cement, and it's primarily set of metals and other materials, um, and what's, what's interesting about that, you know, working at a jewelry store, you see that, and I'm welding things together, and you see the, the glue quality there. In the New Testament, it's used only in the passive voice with reflexive force in the sense of cleaving unto as of cleaving to one's wife. Now, this is pretty impressive to me and interesting where you see that this same term, this same type of term is being used in the marriage. And so it brings the association of joining yourself to a group to a much higher level than we might immediately think. We might think that, well, you know, it, it's, I can join myself to a local congregation and, and that's useful for me, but maybe it's, not, uh, maybe it's not integral. But you note in the sense of becoming associated with a person so as to company with him or be on his side. That's all from vines. But, but that raises the level. When I join myself to a local body, I am gluing myself to it and I am entering into a relationship. And what's the point of that? Why do I do that? Well, at least three reasons are here. Fellowship, you know, uh, when you come together, verse Corinthians, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, we're supposed to come together. We're supposed to have this fellowship. Again, if someone asks you if the North Columbus Church of Christ has a fellowship hall, you can say yes, because we're in it. Uh, secondly, edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done. For edification. Everything we do together is supposed to be building each other up. Even in times, by the way, brethren, even in times when we're uh, relaxing and enjoying ourselves in other places, that's a building up in its own way because we're, we're sharing these ties and we're growing closer together so that our work is benefited from that. But the main thing in terms of that edification is that we're building each other up spiritually. We're building each other up spiritually in such a way that we're helping each other recognize and, and achieve the goals that God wants us to achieve. And related to that is, would be my third reason, accountability. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. That's something for us to think about. And that is one of the most necessary aspects of why the local congregation is there. It's been said by a friend of mine to me in, in studies and stuff that uh, uh, the universal church is the gift to the world, whereas the local church 
is the gift of the Christian. You think about that, and I think that's very wise in the way that he said that, but, uh, but this is the, the value that we have in being part of a local congregation. We have a priority here to accept or reject members. And again, this is where we see that this gluing, this, this point of having this association is important. This is not something that we just sort of d- treat as if it's a social club. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we have the right to recognize the spiritual standing of others and to receive or reject them upon that basis. Now, I don't say this because, you know, this is not what we decide. This spiritual standing, that's not what we decide. We're using the scriptures to recognize and see. Now, we're not taking someone and we're trying to uh, interview them and try to figure out everything about them, there are some basic things that we can determine about someone, and I think we've all talked about that before. But this works the same as discipline. What are we supposed to do? 1 Corinthians 5, reject the fornicator. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, reject those who are disorderly. Titus 3, 10, reject the troublemaker. We're to reject a certain type of person, not necessarily type of person, but the way that they're acting, and their spiritual standing. God has told us to do that. And so that in itself should cause us to appreciate the importance of this togetherness in the local congregation that we have. Uh, you know, for example, as well in, uh, in the church, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, 12, we're to judge those within what I would call the universal church. Aren't you supposed to judge those who are within? That's the question that Paul asked there. And then further, in in the sense that we're judging that in a righteous way. Let's talk about also in Philippians 2.29, to receive him. You know, all the times that Paul is saying receive him. Philemon, verses 12, 15, and 17, receive Onesimus is what he's pleading for them to do. 2 John 10, the uh, inverse of this, if anyone does, comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. So we recognize that the church at Jerusalem, if we go back and we, we, we read just a minute ago, would not accept Paul until they knew more about him. That's not wrong. And that wasn't wrong of them. And if we put ourselves in their shoes, can you blame them? Is this something that we hold them accountable for? No. Because this man had been out, he had been murdering Christians, he had been causing trouble for the church and wreaking havoc and in persecution. And so, uh, for example, we have that ability, we have that right to make sure about people before we accept them into this important uh, fellowship. Again, the Ephesians saw a need to encourage Achaia to accept Apollos. So, accepting or rejecting members. And I would say this as well. It's just as bad to accept anyone without the proper questions as it is to not discipline. Either way, I don't believe we're fulfilling the commands that God has given us and the examples that are binding upon the local congregation. We'll, We'll talk more about that in just a moment as well. What does it mean to be a member of the local church? Well, each member is a functioning unit. 
And we could read back in 1 Corinthians 12, we don't have the time here, but we see the in that passage the knitting together of what we're supposed to be for each other. That where one uh, may not be as strong, another is stronger. And so we, we knit that together, and we don't say that any of those parts is useless. And uh, it means ultimately work, obligation, and responsibility. That's what we're talking about with the local congregation. And I would suggest that a lot of those who... Uh, who reject the idea that I have to be a member of the local church, it's simply because they don't want the work, the obligation, the responsibility. And they don't want the accountability that falls along with it. And, and this, this can happen in, in places. I mean, I, you know, you see it a lot in places like Birmingham and, you know, where there's a lot of faithful churches a person can sort of float through. Uh, but at the same time, we recognize that this is what it's all about. Um, my, my obligation is to attend the assemblies, Hebrews 10.25, teach to my ability. Again, we find Paul and, and Barnabas doing that in Acts 13. Restore the erring, Galatians 6 and verse 1. You know, we, we want to make sure that we're helping those who have fallen. And uh, working together harmoniously, uh, working through the preferences, you know, the preference that I might have that doesn't have anything to do with my salvation. Let's, let's work through that. And those convictions that I might have if I recognize that that doesn't rise to the level of the other aspects of the faith, and, and if I recognize it's an issue like that, then I set that aside for the sake of fellowship. Um, we're to support disciplinary action. In 1 Corinthians 5, again, he's saying, when you're assembled together, when you're together, you deliver this person up to Satan for the, for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul may be saved in the day of judgment. It is important for the congregation as a whole to support those decisions as long as, again, they're right by Scripture and they fall under what God wants us to do. And, of course, for us to worship together. We find that happening in Acts 27 and at 20, verse 7, and in 1 Corinthians 11, among other passages. So when I identify or join myself to a group, I'm saying I want to worship and serve God with you and I'm putting my main focus, notice I, I, the way I put it there, the main focus on the kingdom on this local group. That doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're, you're blindsided to everything else that's happening in the kingdom. We're not considering what's going on in other congregations. We're not worried about, no. We need to have a, a general concern for the kingdom. That's what Paul had. Paul had a general concern for saints everywhere. But I do also believe that when Paul had joined himself to a local group, his focus was on that group. And even though he may have sent letters to other places and had concern about Christians in other places, he made his main goal to be the promotion and the encouragement and the help of that local work. Our gentle qualities are something that we need to be shown to the rest of the world, that we're saying that I, I, I want to be part of this group and I want this to be shown to others. Now, a couple of things I'm, I missed in my notes here, too. I, I don't think anyone, and this is just what I would say here, it's important that we don't have anyone who is just sort of assumed into a local group. I think even when children or teenagers are baptized who have spent so much time within a local congregation, I think the conversation needs to be had that, well, you want to place membership here. 
Because again, that, that, that encourages them to think about it in that sense, to separate and understand that, yes, I'm saved now, and I'm part of the universal church, but I have, you know, as a Christian, I have a right to decide where I want to worship. Now, of course, if it's like a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, I mean, they're kind of limited in that way. But my point is that we need to be teaching them that there is a distinction here. Now, in the same sense, if we already know uh, someone who is coming in, if we have a previous association with them, if we know that they're going to be good for the work and helpful for that work, then, you know, maybe we don't have to put a necessary, necessarily a ritual on it. We've got some uh, folks here from West Point, and, you know, we didn't have some sort of ceremony or something, but I believe we've accepted them into our local group, and uh, they're, they're a benefit to the work here. But I want to say this too, in the same sense, if we already know that someone is out of fellowship with God, of course, or even if we know that that person is going to be divisive and cause trouble, we have the right as a congregation to refuse membership for such an individual. I think we need to make sure we're not naive about accepting people with no questions. Again, Someone comes from another congregation and maybe they're mad about something that happened in that other congregation. Well, we need to encourage them to go and resolve that with the brethren there as much as possible. And uh, that needs to be something that we impress upon them. Again, the importance of this, this is not just a social club. This This is our local work together as a group of saints. As I said, you know, Paul says in Philippians 4 or 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's talking to these local brethren. And that gentleness, that moderation, that forbearance, you know, it's one thing for us to recognize that we need to be showing the truth, right? We need to be a local group that is encouraging others to seek out the truth. and We need to take these stands. We need to have this conviction. But guess what? Other people need to see our love for each other too. And other people need to see our gentleness and our care for each other. And those qualities that that are going to make us different from the rest of the world. And uh, again, I I won't read that whole uh, definition. You can look it up yourself. But I just wanted to encourage us to think about that uh, as well. That we're not just sort of towing the line and we'll just kick out people if we need to. And we'll accept those who we accept. And, you know, it's all under, it's all right. But we have to have love even among those actions and that gentleness and that carefulness in in doing and saying those things. There may be some times where you have to have strong words, but we always have to do it out of love. Now, as our final point, as we sort of wind our thoughts down today, here's some misconceptions that I've found, and maybe there are some misconceptions that uh, you've seen that maybe we could talk about in the next hour. Some people say, well, if I'm a member here, that puts me with those who are going to heaven. And the old uh, misconception, oh, you Church of Christ people think you're the only ones going to heaven. Well, this doesn't really help us very much when we think that. Uh, you know, Revelation 3 and verse 4 says, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Their membership at Sardis was not what made them worthy. If their membership at Sardis had made them worthy, then uh, it wasn't just a few names. He would have said all of them would be worthy. But it was the fact that they were faithful to God 
Faithful members can be among the unfaithful, and membership does not guarantee right standing with God. In another sense, uh, someone might say, well, I, I'm still a member where my letter is. And this is an older term, because I, you know, but uh, you know, some people from other churches, especially denominational churches, might be concerned. That, well, I'm still a member at this Baptist church or this Methodist church, and they're depending upon me. They, they're looking at me, and, you know, well, uh, the Bible is silent on this statement. You know, where does the Bible say if you're a group you know, with someone else, you, know, you have to let them know and let them know you're changing membership? Um, it might be useful for you to make a statement with those who, of the group that you've left, but just because I'm counted a member somewhere else, a denomination or an unfaithful church, doesn't mean that I can't place membership elsewhere. Did the Jews, I think it's a good question to consider, did the Jews that Christians converted in the first century have to talk to their synagogue rulers to have their membership transferred? No. And so we recognize that this is something that we're doing uh, because we love God and we're making that preference. We're not trying to make preference for those things that we've left behind. Someone says, again, there's no need to be a member. We just want to attend. We just want to come and worship. Okay, that's fine. But again, we go back to Acts 9.26. Did Paul just want to attend in Jerusalem? Was that Paul's goal in going to Jerusalem? His goal there was to join himself to the brethren. And if there's no need to be a member of a local congregation, how can we properly understand passages like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12? How can we properly understand that there is a local body? Because I'll tell you, there's no way that we can function, the universal church, there's no way we can make it function like it looks in 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll just say that flat out. And every time we try to activate the universal church, we get in trouble, okay? And we go away from the pattern. So let's not do that. Someone says anyone who's a Christian is approved of by God and does not need to locate. And that's where we look at Galatians 1. Again, this is the, this is the thing. Who told Paul that he needed to join the brethren at Jerusalem? Who informed him? Someone might say, well, someone must have helped him and told him to go there. Well, someone did. In Galatians 1 verse 15, Paul says, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. One thing I would, I would suggest from this passage is that Paul obviously was told by God that he needed to go and join himself to the brethren at Jerusalem. That's what I would suggest. I don't have the passage for that per se, but that's what I'm going to assume based on what he's saying here. Number two... There was a span of three years. I don't know if there were any churches in Arabia at this time or Damascus per se, but ultimately he goes to Jerusalem to join himself to that group for a particular reason. And again, this is sort of the, the, the hinge point of my argument here is that if we say that there, it's not needed for my, me to join myself, to glue myself to a local group, then I'm not walking in the way that Paul walked. And I'm not fulfilling the example that's been left in Scripture for me. And again, I know uh, we don't have a lot of disagreement here with that, but I think it's important that we remind ourselves that this is, this is the importance of it. This is our local group. 
And we need to appreciate that. We need to appreciate the fact that anyone who comes in here, we're to encourage them to be invested in this, to, to bind themselves to this. And uh, it's not wrong for us to encourage someone to, to actually actively work with the local congregation. And, and one thing I would say, too, that three years there, I mean, that tells me that there, there are some times in our lives that may be tumultuous or maybe times where we need to figure out some things. We move into a place, maybe there's two or three or four different churches that have the name Church of Christ on the sign. Well, there may be a month or two where I have to kind of decide and maybe I visit a few of them. And, uh, you know, we, I do my research. You know, we live in a time where you can very easily come to the right conclusions by actually just sitting down and looking, okay, what does this church believe? What does that church believe? We need to do that. But there are times where that are rather tumultuous, where uh, I, I believe I, my conviction would be that God is not expecting us to immediately join. If we leave a place, we immediately join to another place. Uh, God has an understanding of these things and God has grace and God has patience with us. But the goal needs to be that I settle myself down with a local congregation to work with and to encourage each other and to hold each other accountable and to have that fellowship that God wants us to have. I know this hasn't been specifically about salvation this morning, but hear the words of Jesus. And we want to recognize that he said these things and his apostles followed these things, and we need to follow them too. If you're not a Christian this morning, we encourage you to think about that, to make that great confession that Jesus is your Savior and that you want to live forever with him. If you're already a Christian and you recognize you need to change, we encourage you to respond to the gospel calls. We stand and sing.